Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 7.52 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 8th of March, 2022. This is episode 557 of Bitcoin. And again, as I'm trying to do every morning, is to thank the people that are supporting me. I do appreciate it. It is <clears throat> it is one of those things that makes me want to get up and do the show 557 times. <laughs> That's a lot of show, man. And most of this support is coming through uh, Patreon, as well as Podcasting 2.0. But if you don't want to, you know, if you just don't have the, uh, I don't know, the time or the wherewithal to get into Podcasting 2.0, and you don't want to cut your credit card number to Patreon, and I can totally understand that shit, bro. You can always do it through word of mouth support. That's just your time. It's not your treasure well, actually, your time is your treasure, but, you know, in, in church speak, it's called, you know, time, treasure, and talent. And if you uh, don't have the treasure to spend and you do have some time, you know, word of mouth is one of the best ways that any product or service ever gets circulated and uh, come to, you know, become to be known in the wider world. So, you know, if you tweet out the show, if you give me a five-star review on Apple iTunes, you know, that really does help. A lot. I think it actually helps a lot more than people realize because it, what it does is it gets into the algorithms of these systems like five-star reviews on Apple iTunes does something inside of Apple iTunes. Exactly what? I don't know because all these algorithms are black boxed, right? You don't really know what's going, what's going on. We can surmise because we can put, you know, do we make inputs into a system and then we observe their outputs. And even if we don't know what the hell's going on in the black box, we can at least surmise something. And a five star review as an input always kicks out the output of more listeners discovering the show. And as I build this thing, uh, I'm building this thing because it's always a good idea to have something you've built for yourself that is completely external of anything else, job, you know, like investments, whatever, right? Building something that one of these days could potentially be my sole, you know, income is critical, I think, for everybody to do. Whether it's a, you know, it it doesn't have to be a podcast, be a YouTube channel, hell, it doesn't even have to be media. If you, you know, like cutting plants, like I, dude, I sold like a hundred bucks worth of comfrey roots, uh, to, uh, uh, I'm not going to say his name cause I don't want to dox him in case he doesn't want to be doxed, but a buddy of mine on Twitter, who's kind of into regen ag wanted a hundred bucks worth of comfrey roots. And I was like, well, I, I have comfrey root. 
and I know how to cut those things into piece, you know, into enough pieces that you can do so quite a bit of quite a bit of uh, comfrey planting. And I shipped a hundred bucks worth of comfrey roots yesterday, and it was easy. It was easy. Well, it was easy because I've got like you know five year old plants. So I, you know, when I dig up you know one of my comfrey plants, there's quite a bit of root mass there. Actually, no, these things are these things are like seven or eight years old. Come to think of it, but I had to start somewhere, and I started with a root. I had to buy a comfrey root from some guy and I planted those comfrey roots. I think I got a dozen of them or so. And I just over the years kept propagating them. And that's what I'm doing with this show. I'm trying to propagate the show as the show gets, you know, bigger and a little bit, you know, more people start listening to it, you get a snowball effect. And the only way that I can really do that is that I have to rely on the listener base that I have so far. So if you donate your time, I very much appreciate it. Now, <clears throat> let's go. Uh, we got Bitcoin stuck under $40,000, but BCT or BTC price hits another all-time high versus, you guessed it, the Russian ruble, Cointelegraph, William Suberg writing it. Uh, Bitcoin recovered from one-week lows on March the 8th after a lack of progress in Russia-Ukraine talks that sent markets tumbling. Data from Coin Telegraph Markets Pro and TradingView showed BTC USD bouncing at $37,170 on Bitstamp after Monday's Wall Street Open. <clears throat> Overnight progress maintained support with the pair trading at around $38,500 at the time of writing. Crypto and stocks reacted poorly to the lack of consensus that ended the third round of negotiations to end hostilities between Russia and Ukraine. Quote, there are small positive subductions in improving the logistics of humanitarian corridors, whatever the hell that means. Intensive consultations have continued on the basic political block of the regulations, along with a ceasefire and security guarantees. In quote, negotiator Mikhailo Podolyak nonetheless tweeted as part of feedback following conclusion of the talks. The news was not enough to provide any form of hope, however. <clears throat> United States stocks trended down throughout the session with the S&P 500 ending Monday with 2.95% in losses. Commodities, meanwhile, saw spikes, which were often unprecedented, such as nickel jumping past $100,000 per ton on the London Metal Stock or uh, Commodities Exchange. Uh, let me just repeat that. Nickel. The metal. Nickel jumped past $100,000 per ton on the London Metal Exchange. Just let that sink in, okay? At the same time, pain continued for Russia, with only ruble-exposed investors hedging in BTC seeing some form of relief. On Monday evening, the BTC ruble pair hit new all-time highs of just over 5 million rubles on Binance. Amid the mayhem, and despite Bitcoin's lackluster price reaction as a safe haven paradoxically correlated with stocks, there were nonetheless votes of confidence from diehard supporters. Quote, the world is watching trust get repriced in real time, Marty Bent, founder of Bitcoin media company TFTC, summarized. Quote, when the dust settles, Bitcoin will be the biggest benefactor because the masses will realize a distributed system that cannot be controlled by a single person, government, corporation, or coalition is the only thing that they can trust, end quote. Regulatory concerns from the U.S. also contributed to the market's cold feet. For low time frame trades, Bitcoin looked fairly unappealing for many, with upside potential decidedly limited. 
For popular traders, Anabessa and Crypto Ed, $40,000 remained an obvious target for bullish divergence. Quote, target can be defined better when the correlation is finished, but for now, sticking with $40,000, Crypto Ed said. As Cointelegraph reported, upcoming events in the United States, notably consumer price index data due on Thursday and a decision on interest rate hikes next week, were apt to disrupt sentiment in the short term. So we're in this no man's land is what's going on. <clears throat> Everybody is looking at United uh, or Ukraine and uh, the Russian Federation and what, what the hell's gonna shake out of all this. And I think this is gonna be, gonna enter into a protracted stage where it's just this ongoing bullshit of Russian presence inside Ukraine, maybe the maybe they'll de-escalate a little bit, but I don't see Russia leaving anytime soon. Um, gas prices, as you know, are rising. We'll get to that when I get to the uh, numbers portion of the show. It, I know it looks, it looks bleak, but, but there is nothing for it but to live through it. And I guess it was Winston Churchill said, if you're going through hell, don't stop. And what, you know, and a lot of people, I've, I'm kind of amazed that some people don't actually know what the hell he was talking about. So let me just break it down succinctly here. If you find yourself in the middle of hell and you're going through it, if you were to stop and just stay there, what happens? Well, you just remain in hell. If you turn around and start to try to go back through from whence you came, then all you're doing is backtracking the past. You have to go forward because every time you find your, when you finally discover that you're in hell, you're right in the middle of it. You're in the eye of the storm and you have to go to the other side. You have to keep walking. You have to keep doing it until you get out of hell and going back the way you came just puts you back at the front of hell. So if you're going through hell, don't stop. Just keep on going. <clears throat> I have spoken quite a bit lately about my view that there is price manipulation in the price of Bitcoin. And I know it is not a popular thing to talk about, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, because I'm not the only one who seems to be seeing this shit. Now, my, the way that I see the price manipulation happening is from the derivatives of Bitcoin price. And those would be the futures, namely the ETFs and stuff like that. Because we still, in the in the United States, we still do not have a spot ETF. There's a couple of them in Europe, but we're waiting on the one for uh, for the United States. And I'm not, I'm not convinced that that's actually going to do all the things that, you know, people say, oh, well, once we get a spot price, everything's gonna be fine. Well, I'm not convinced. I don't, I don't think that they're wrong, I just, I'm not convinced that it's going to be some kind of moonshot to like, you know, a million dollars a coin overnight or even over a week or a month or, you know, five years. I'm not sure. But one thing I am sure about is that the amount of derivatives that we have now are not helping Bitcoin price because people are not trading the actual asset itself. They're trading on price movements in paper. And it seems to me that Armin the Parman uh, of Twitter fame is agreeing with me. And he has written, he's, he's got a write-up on it. So I want to I wanna find, uh, find out what's going on here. And I think this, this was actually, you know, published in Bitcoin Magazine, but I'm reading it from armintheparman.com forward slash futures. So I'm not exactly sure when this was written, but I'm sure it's going to be relevant. <clears throat> so what's the problem? 
enemies with unlimited cash, the Federal Reserve or IMF, for example, can suppress the price of Bitcoin. I demonstrate why it can be only temporary. Exactly what price suppression can achieve long-term is debatable and not the topic of the article, but I will just explain how price suppression can be achieved in the short term and why the strategy won't work in the long term. So in the futures markets, <clears throat> price manipulation can be accomplished through the cash settled futures market. Here's how. Imagine you have one Bitcoin and wish to bet on its future price. Suppose the spot price is currently at $50,000. You write a contract that in one year, you can choose other time periods, but let's go with one year for simplicity, that you will sell one Bitcoin at 50K because you can actually set any price though. <clears throat> how much is this contract worth? Well, first consider what the advantages to the person who buys the contract. One, they can refrain from parting with $50,000 now and instead wait one year before they pay for the one Bitcoin so they get to hold $50,000 in cash for one year and holding that extra cash has some value because it can earn yield. Two, they still get exposure to the price movements of Bitcoin without paying for it in full because no matter what happens to the price of Bitcoin in one year, they have effectively have to buy that Bitcoin for $50,000 at that time. If the price goes up to say $70,000, they have to buy the Bitcoin at $50,000 and can sell it immediately for $70,000 and make 20,000 in profit. Or they can just hold onto the Bitcoin that they got on the cheap. But if the price falls, they still need to pay $50,000 even if it's above the market price of Bitcoin. <clears throat> What the value of the contract is, I can't say. It's up to the market to determine, but let's say it has a $15,000 premium over the spot price. <clears throat> this is the price to pay for the benefits listed above. If the premium is $15,000, the contract would have a price of $65,000 on the market. $50,000 for the Bitcoin price and $15,000 for the one-year time premium. The $15,000 represents a 30% annual premium. So now, in reality, you don't write the details of futures contracts. The exchange sets the terms of the contract. This allows contracts to be fungible <clears throat> and therefore tradable on an open market. You simply go to a futures exchange, look up the one-year contract page. You'll examine the chart and see if you want to buy or sell. Let's say you sell. Your order appears in the order book. What are you selling? You are selling a deal with the specified terms. Someone might buy it, and when they do, then and only then, a new live contract is created and the open interest, the total count of contracts open, increases by the size of the number of units traded. <clears throat> you don't have to wait for the contract to expire to exit. You can buy back the contract at any time, add a profit or loss to end the deal like i.e. you know exit the position which reduces the open interest why does the price of the contract change well there's three reasons one time premium decay time has value and as time runs out price reduces even if bitcoin's price stays dead steady for one year the fifteen thousand dollar premium will decay to zero as the contract expiry approaches and by the end of the contract period it will be worth fifty thousand dollars in total the same as the spot price of Bitcoin. If you were still holding the contract at the end, then your profit will be 15,000 because you sold it at 65,000 and now it is about to expire at 50,000. In fact, 
Whatever happens to the price of spot Bitcoin, the futures contract will lose its time premium until the final moment when the contract will be worth the exact same as the spot price, whatever that happens to be. Two, volatility component to the time premium. While the time premium decays due to time decay, the volatility of the spot price can cause wild fluctuations in the price of the time premium that is remaining. The time premium is like an insurance policy. If the volatility is high, that means wild swings in price are more likely and the, quote, insurance premium becomes more expensive. Three, spot Bitcoin price changes. Apart from the time premium, superimposed on that will be the fluctuations of the spot Bitcoin price. Generally speaking, if the price of Bitcoin rises, the price of the contract does too. So if the spot price doubles, the component of the contract price that excludes the time premium should double as well or close to it. So how does manipulation occur? The evil anti-humanity Marxist wishing to damage Bitcoin may try to drive the price down by selling futures contracts heavily and at a loss at lower prices than the pro-humanity individuals participating in the free market. <clears throat> the Marxists don't need Bitcoin as collateral to do this. They only need cash collateral. Why do they need collateral? The collateral is there in case the trade goes against them. If the trade goes badly enough and all the collateral is consumed, the exchange would liquidate the contract and collect what is owed by confiscating the collateral. If there were no collateral, the exchange would be owed money and might never receive it from the Marxist scumbags. Normally, the price of the futures doesn't deviate from the spot price due to arbitrage, and I'll explain that. So here it is, manipulation by inviting arbitrage. Imagine after heavy selling, the futures contract price is $49,000, suddenly dropping from $65,000, but the spot price hasn't moved from $50,000. The spot price would move, but imagine it hasn't. I'll show why it does move automatically. A savvy trader would see that the futures price is too cheap. What can he do to take advantage? One way is to just buy the $49,000 contract knowing it is $1,000 cheaper than the spot price. What he can do is buy one Bitcoin contract <clears throat> at $49,000 and sell one of his Bitcoins on the spot market at $50,000. He pays $49,000 for the futures contract. He sells one Bitcoin for $50 and he nets $1,000 for free. But the selling pressure also drives the spot price of Bitcoin down towards 49,000. Why 49 and not lower? Because this arbitrage is only profitable up to a certain point. <clears throat> Back to the 49,000 versus $50,000 arbitrage, the number of Bitcoins our savvy trader holds in total has now reduced by one. But the number of Bitcoins he is exposed to in terms of price is unchanged. If, Bitcoin prices, if Bitcoin's price doubles, he still profits, but in fiat terms. He can always exit the futures contract, take the profit in fiat, and buy Bitcoin back at a market price and be $1,000 better off, again, for free. Where did the $1,000 profit come from? Whose money is that? Whoever was silly enough to sell the futures contract for too cheap, but were they silly? Not if they were someone who could print fiat money in unlimited quantity and wanted to drive down the price of Bitcoin. Does it work? Well, it depends on what you mean by work. It does suppress the Bitcoin price, but only temporarily, and I'll explain later. <clears throat> it's also worth noting the success of the strategy to suppress the gold price. 
The number of futures claims on gold far outweigh the amount of gold that is available. How is that sustained? Because the delivery of the contract is in fiat value and not actually in gold, and there's no limit to how much fiat can exist. There is no obligation to deliver the gold. People tend to not want the gold either, as there's a cost involved in accepting physical gold. So the scam perpetuates, and the supply of gold is effectively increased, and therefore the price is suppressed. Everyone is trading the paper gold, which is not scarce at all, and there seems to be no limit to how much paper gold can be created. This is not the case for Bitcoin, however. So what's the solution? While this manipulation is effective against gold, it won't work for long against Bitcoin. And this is because Bitcoin is easy to take custody and to spend directly peer-to-peer -to, -peer to anyone in the world instantly, and gold isn't. Of course, I'm not saying you can't take custody of gold. You can, <clears throat> but it's not commonly done. In international trade, without a central party holding custody of the gold is not common. And so the market manipulation of the gold price can persist. You can store Bitcoin yourself with your own wallet, holding your own private key. Most people teach themselves how to do this, and I do teach people who want help. Eventually, nearly all Bitcoin is destined for self-custody. As people accumulate more Bitcoin, whether by converting their fiat money to Bitcoin or whether it is through buying Bitcoin on exchanges, demanding it for its services rendered, or buying more from arbitrage profits from Marxists trying to manipulate the price down, actual Bitcoin is what will be demanded and accumulated in the long term, not paper promises for it as is the case with gold. This activity contributes to fiat inflation, which strengthens the demand and awareness of Bitcoin. In short, this can be temporarily effective. It will lead to an equal and opposite reaction of creating an increased demand for Bitcoin. In addition, driving the price of Bitcoin lower allows those who accumulate Bitcoin to extract more Bitcoin out of the supply for a given quantity of fiat that they have available. The reason demanding real Bitcoin breaks the price manipulation is as follows. <clears throat> Suppose the millions of holders accumulating Bitcoin continue to do so, and suppose their numbers continue to increase. When they take their fiat to the spot market, they bid at the suppressed price, and at some point, there will be no more Bitcoin available. So they bid higher, and higher still, even if the futures price is much lower than spot. As they bid higher, other Bitcoin hodlers become tempted to sell, perhaps to buy a Lambo or a Chateau in France with fiat, and thus Bitcoins are transferred from weaker hands to stronger hands. This spot price is driven up by people who want real Bitcoin and not paper futures contracts to gamble on. For the spot price to be driven back down towards the futures price, someone who may initiate an arbitrage strategy would need to have Bitcoin in reserve to execute the plan, but he has no Bitcoin left. He is only holding futures contracts or fiat, and so the price continues to get bid higher. This is how the manipulation ends. It's important to know that simply buying Bitcoin on the spot market is insufficient to break the manipulation. Withdrawal is necessary. Any Bitcoin left in the exchange's custody is not necessarily real Bitcoin. You may be told you own, say, one Bitcoin, but you can never be sure if there is more than one claim on that Bitcoin. Fractional reserve practices that occur in the banking sector are very possible to replicate on Bitcoin exchanges. Any, or sorry, an exchange holding 1 million Bitcoin, for example, may have customers who are promised 10 million Bitcoin in total. 
Those customers just have account pages with a readout of their Bitcoin balance, and there's no way for them to check if that Bitcoin exists until they withdraw it. If 1 million Bitcoins are suddenly withdrawn, the other customers who think they have 9 million will never receive those Bitcoin. I like to use the gold analogy. Imagine you have a gold broker and you log into their exchange page, navigate to your gold wallet, and then they show you a photograph of a gold bar. You don't really know if that bar exists and they're safe, and you don't know how many other people think that they own it. It's not yours until it is sent to you and you put it in your safe. The same is true for Bitcoin. I run through six reasons to withdraw your Bitcoin here, and of course here is a link. So to summarize the last argument, you are not really demanding spot Bitcoin if you leave the coins on the exchange. Why the manipulation of Bitcoin can't be sustained, sustained reason number two. The other reason the manipulation is not sustainable is that those who are enticed by arbitrage profits may at a later date wish to replenish their Bitcoin stack. They would then close the futures contract or let it expire, collect the fiat in any profits or loss, and use the fiat to buy back their Bitcoin on the spot market, which then pushes the price back up. That component of the dip caused by the manipulator becomes noise over the time period the futures contract was held. So in summary, I explained how price suppression may be occurring and likely is and how it works using the futures market. I also explained why it can't persist long term. Presuming the Bitcoin's experience will be the same as gold is fundamentally flawed because Bitcoin does not have the same relevant weaknesses as gold. <clears throat> Bitcoin can easily be demanded stored and transacted instantly all over the world, and it is the demand for real Bitcoin that will decouple the price from the futures price. Remember, you can't buy a coffee or a Lambo with the futures contract as payment. Ladies and gentlemen, it is clear that understanding exactly how futures, the futures market works takes more than just listening to one article. This is the conundrum that Bitcoiners find themselves in at, at present. As, we've, as we come to the, you know, our individual exhaustions of what we can know about Bitcoin because we've been in the system for so long, the real meat starts coming at the edge effect. Well, it's the edge effect of where Bitcoin meets the fiat world. <clears throat> and there's so much movement there. And the only way to understand it, oh yeah, you understand Bitcoin. You know, actually that's a false statement. Nobody truly understands Bitcoin, but let's say you got a damn good handle on it. Now you've come up to the edge where Bitcoin meets the legacy financial world. And you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Like what the hell's going on with these prices? You know, that's, that's, a, that's a fundamental question that, that people are asking themselves right now and it's okay. You can be concerned about price without feeling bad. That's all right. I'm never going to, I'm not, I'm not going to give you shit about it. <clears throat> but the only way to understand what's going on, going on at the edge is to also be able to understand the financial legacy markets. And none of us wanted to do that in the first place, right? I mean, honestly, how many of you fell asleep during economics class in high school? You know, I mean, honestly, it was boring as shit. What's amazing is that Bitcoin has actually breathed new life into my desire to learn what the hell's going on in fiat financial markets. And futures contracts and the way they're used to manipulate prices is one of those things that I really do want to understand. I think it's important. So clearly, reading one article does not do that. I've read several. 
I still don't fully understand it. If you were going through Parman's or Armin the Parman's article and listening to it going, I still don't understand it, that's okay. In fact, that probably means that you're on the right track. So don't feel bad. It's the whole thing is bizarre, but it all boils down to the ability of the powers that be to print money because they don't give a shit if they lose it. There's no cost to that money. And that's a fundamental issue of why the world sucks the way the world sucks right now. So let's continue on. The Virginia Senate passes bill allowing state banks to offer Bitcoin custody services. This is obviously the state of Virginia in the United States. And here we go, dude, Sean Amick is writing it for Bitcoin Magazine. Delegate Christopher T. Head, Senate member for the state of Virginia, introduced House Bill 263 in early January of 2022 to allow traditional banks operating in the Commonwealth of Virginia to offer custodial services for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency. Pause. Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. This kind of shit will allow for that whole rehypothecation thing. If your Bitcoin is on an exchange, have they promised it to more than one person? The same thing happens here. Custodial services suck, but and this is going to end up being good news for Bitcoin because Virginia is now getting on board. Quote, a bank may provide its customers with virtual currency custody services so long as the bank has 26 adequate protocols in place to effectively manage risks and comply with applicable laws, the bill outlines. In order for banks to offer custodial services, they must go through a methodical process of self-assessment, which requires it to carefully examine the risks involved in offering such services, the bill provisions. The bill continues to explain the assessment criteria, stating that expectations of the bank include implementation of effective risk management, controls for the measurement and control of relevant risk associated to the bank's holding custody of cryptocurrencies, confirmation of proper insurances in place and the maintenance of a service provide oversight programs designed to curtail risk to service providers. God, I hate legalese. The bill seeks to allow banking infrastructure to participate in either a fiduciary or non-fiduciary capacity. Should a bank want to operate in a fiduciary manner, quote, acting in a fiduciary capacity, the bank shall require customers to transfer their virtual currencies to the control of the bank by creating new private keys to be held by the bank. I'm going to read that again because this is dangerous. If you're smart, you won't do this. You'll rah-rah it, but you won't actually do this. Quote, acting in a fiduciary capacity, the bank shall require customers to transfer their virtual currencies to the control of the bank by creating new private keys that are held by the bank. Should a bank want to operate in a non-fiduciary capacity, quote, in providing such non-fiduciary services, uh, the bank shall act as a bailee, taking possession of the customer's assets for, quote, safekeeping while legal title remains with the customer, meaning that the customer retains direct control over the keys associated with their virtual currency. With a total sweep of 39 to 0, the bill heads to the governor's Glenn Youngkin's desk to be signed into law. They voted for it 39 to 0. There was not one single dissenting vote in the Virginia State Senate. I'm, I find myself actually amazed that there was not a single person who was against this in Virginia. 
oh my God. The second part of this, the non-fiduciary capacity that allows the customer to hold the keys, that's the model that we that we want. That's the if you really are just freaked out by just doing it all yourself, this is the this is the way to go. Although I highly recommend doing it all yourself. That way you won't be a statistic. Speaking of statistics, let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids are on fire. West Texas Intermediate up four and a half points to $124.76. Brent North Sea is up 5% to $129.36. Natural gas, however, taking it on the chin, five and a quarter percent to the downside leaves it hanging at $4.58 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline is up four and a half points to $3.73. We're starting to, I'm seeing pictures out of California with $6 gasoline. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, Texas, it's, you know, we're still under four bucks in, at least in my neck of the woods in Austin and, you know, larger cities like that. Uh, yeah, you're going to see $4 gas and everything. But up here, we're still, I think we're still at like three seventy nine in the panhandle. Uh, somewhere around there. Gold having a good day. Peter Schiff, very happy. 1.4% to the upside brings it up above 2000 for the first time in a long time, uh, $2,023. Now, it did get up to like 2001 but then, uh, you know, immediately sank back down into the high 1900s. But it looks like it's squarely above $2,000 today. So Peter is going to be dancing on our graves. Be prepared for that. He's an older guy with a son who loves him very much. Please be respectful. I know, I know you, I know you want to say what you want to say to Peter, but essentially he's an ally in wolf's clothing is all I got to say about Peter. He will, he'll come around at one point or another. It won't just be gold for Peter. So let's try to, let's try to get him as an ally is what I'm saying. Uh, agricultural futures are relatively mixed. Rough rice is the biggest loser today. One and a half percent to the downside. Wheat on its rocket ride to the sky, bro. Uh, 2.72% to the upside. Soybeans right on its tail. 1.43% to the upside. We have, what do we have here? Oh, we have the Dow up 0.12%. S&P is up 0.1%. NASDAQ up 017 And S&P mini is up 0.1%. What does that tell me? They're waiting on something. They're, they're waiting. It is, a, it is a sideways day so far. Now, real money is at 38750 bucks. 258,000 transactions over the last 24 hours is 10,700 transactions every hour with 656 BTC changing hands in that 24 hour period. That is a meager 27,300 BTC every hour on the hour being sent in uh, average transaction values of a 2.5 BTC and median transactions of 0.015 BTC or about 570 bucks. Block times look good. 10 minutes, 4 seconds, uh, 0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 11.14 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. And with a 7.34% jump in hash rate, we're back up to 198.17 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator losing ground 
pretty good this time. 11.8 United States pennies. <clears throat> Generally speaking, when I see prices of Bitcoin at 38,000, 750 after we've come down from 40,000. Generally speaking, I'll see shit, your shitcoin indicator doge at 13, 14, sometimes, you know, 12 cents. And this is the first time I've seen it below, uh, fully below 12 cents in, in quite a while on these particular moves. So it may be that Elon's magic that he worked on this particular shitcoin is wearing thin and people are just going to go ahead and take their loss and buy something else. Who knows? I don't care. 5,526 transactions are awaiting three blocks to clear. Market capitalization of Bitcoin is stands at $735.7 billion, which is 5.53% of gold's market cap. And we can buy even less gold today. We can only buy 19.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,977,527.3 of. And 3,483.8 of those are in the Lightning Network, which is still valued at $135.1 million in value. Uh, that's being run over 20,133 nodes that we know about sporting 85,682 public channels because those are the channels that we can see. And we've dipped uh, on Tor capacity of the Lightning Network below 76. We are at 75.9% of the Lightning Network being run over 11,667 Tor nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use Biden to sign Bitcoin crypto executive order this week. I know you're, yes, you're, you're living in a repeat. You're, it's deja vu all over again. Yes, it is the case that three weeks ago we were talking about this exact same thing and they didn't do it. Are they going to do it this week? Who knows? But understand something before we talk about this executive order. All right, because it's like, you know, if I read it and you get distracted on the road or something like that, you're going to skip over it. Here's the important part about this executive order. <clears throat> this executive order calls a meeting. That's right. It's like when your boss says, oh, by the way, on, you know, Thursday at three o'clock, we've got a, a, an all hands meeting. Yeah, no, no, no. The president of the United States is using an executive order to call a meeting for a bunch of people to start figuring shit out. In the history of executive orders, my question is this, in the history of executive orders of the United States, how many have called a meeting? If somebody has the answer to that, please let me know. I suggest to you that this is all going to be a big nothing burger, even if, they do, even if Biden uh, does pass a, an executive order this week. Remains to be seen. <clears throat> President Joe Biden will sign an executive order this week to task federal agencies <clears throat> with assessing the risks and opportunities that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies bring to the U.S. and outline the government strategy for the market's regulation, reported Bloomberg. The order will direct federal agencies to examine potential regulatory changes and the national security and economic impact of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. People familiar with the administration's plans told Bloomberg, quote, the executive order, <clears throat> which has been in the works since last year, will require federal agencies across the government to report later this year what they're doing regarding digital tokens per the report. You see, I'm laughing because this is idiotic. 
The plan is expected to begin carving out roles for agencies across the government from the State Department to the Commerce Department. Regulatory efforts would also involve the Treasury Department, National Economic Council, Council of Economic Advisors, and the White House National Security Council. Yeah, first they laugh at you, then they take you real freaking seriously, I guess. Bitcoin has risen to the spotlight since the U.S. and its allies began imposing restrictions on Russia in a push to isolate the country's economy and suppress its abilities to continue marching forward in its Ukraine invasion. <clears throat> Despite being a tangible alternative to Russian citizens who may now find themselves unable to send and receive money freely, Bitcoin is likely unable to equally help the nation bypass Western sanctions altogether. However, lawmakers in the United States have expressed concerns regarding such a possibility, including, of course, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who lied about her, her heritage so that she could get a massive paycheck from Harvard or wherever the hell she's teaching law at. Anyway, old Focahontas sent a letter to the Treasury Department inquiring about its plans to combat an eventual Russian usage of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. If you're angry that I call our uh, president potato-in-chief and you're angry that I bring up the fact that Elizabeth Warren did indeed lie about her heritage being a Native American, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, if I hurt your feelings, you know, but I'm not going to not say what I believe is the truth because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. It's not that I'm specifically trying to hurt somebody's feelings. I know there's at least one person out there that does not like it when I call Biden potato in chief. But the dude shits his pants. He's not the president. And I'm not saying that Trump is. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I don't even think Trump was the president. I don't think Bush was the president. I don't think Clinton was the president. I don't think first but something is behind the scenes that's that's been directing it probably ever since nixon got offed because the president after nixon probably got read the riot act saying yeah you know that whole uh kennedy thing sorry did i say after nixon after kennedy when kennedy got blown away the, the lbj probably was told after he took the oath of office on air force one uh by the way we did that you do what we say or this will happen to you and it's probably been said to every United States president since. I don't know. It's po I mean, it's possible that I'm completely wrong, but something changed after Kennedy. And I, I just don't think that Biden is actually calling any of the shots, nor do I think Kamala Harris is. In the case of George W. Bush, I do believe Cheney was probably calling a bunch of shots. I don't think George W. Bush was, but be that as it may, it is the fact that we have a president that can, that, is having some very serious cognitive difficulties. He's not running the show. I got Senator Elizabeth Warren who flat out lied about her heritage and she's getting paid more for that lie at her position as a law professor because she still does that by the way. She was, you know, I think she's always going to be at Harvard. She'll be professor emeritus at one point or another. I mark my words. So before, during and after her, you know, tenure as a uh, uh, United States Senator, she has engagements with Harvard. Those engagements are well paid and those engagements are better paid than she would have been had she just been white. She lied about her heritage. It is a fact. It's on record. I'm sorry, but that's just the fact of the matter. So, I'm, you know, if you got your, if you got your feelings hurt because I called her Focahontas, there's a reason why. I'm not going to let her get away with lying. I'm just Fucking not. Chinese police bust illegal crypto mining farm and seizes 
190 miners. Boy, they are getting small potatoes now. Prescient Jaws got it from Cointelegraph. <clears throat> The Guangdong Province's Development and Reform Commission has reportedly busted an illegal crypto mining farm secretly operating in an electric vehicle charging station. <laughs> the, the secret mining farm was busted in the city of Guangzhou, where law enforcement agencies have consistently and constantly been making inspections around the cities to enforce and eradicate any form of mining operations in the region, reported a local publication. The covert mining operation used over 190 crypto mining machines estimated to be worth 5 million won, which were seized on the spot. The authorities claim that even though mining operations consume a lot of energy, they remained hidden from the authorities because of the high power consumption of the charging stations that they were operating in. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. The mining operations were reportedly carried out in a closed door location <clears throat> with a guard at the gate along with fences and walls to hide it from plain sight. The mining farm was operational for over 1,000 hours and consumed more than 90,000 kilowatt hours of electricity. The authorities busted the crypto mining operations after examining the energy consumption of the charging station, which revealed discrepancies in the electric consumption. Similarly, Zhejiang City seized 916 mining February's back or mining machines back in February. Sorry, the Beijing government issued an outright ban on crypto mining operations throughout the country last year, citing their carbon emission goals and high electricity consumption by the crypto mining operations. The decision led to the majority of mining farms and industrial crypto mining operations to either shut down or migrate to other nations. The authorities in various provinces of China have since then carried out state and city level inspections to, inspections to wipe out even the smallest, including home-based mining operations. China, which contributed more than 60% of the Bitcoin network hash rate, pa uh, hash power prior to the crackdown, currently has nearly zero shares in the global Bitcoin mining operations. And they're just making sure that they continue to pull the trigger while they shoot themselves in the foot. That's what's going on. Now, I guarantee you those miners will never see the light of day on the secondary markets. I will bet you my ass that China's at every mining operation that they come across, they're going to confiscate the miners and they're going to put them into their own mining operation and they're going to mine behind the scenes. I guarantee you that's what's going to happen. They made the biggest mistake of their country's history, aside from burning the navigational maps back in the 1500s or whenever it was. This is the second largest mistake that they've ever made. And it's going to destroy them. I mean, or, well, destroy them. It's not like the country's going to go up in flames. I'm just going to say they're, it's, they're just not, they, they had their foot in the door and they pulled the door closed on their foot so hard it, Cut it half off anyway. So, but they're going to be mining. I guarantee it. They're going to be trying to do anything to salvage this mistake. Uh, total exchange BTC inflows have been net negative since July, 2021. Brian Newer has it for Cointelegraph. <clears throat> there have been more outflows than inflows to most exchanges except Binance, FTX, Bittrex, and Bitfinex since last July, suggesting sellers may be exhausted according to Glassnode. Bitcoin inflows across all exchanges have been net negative since last July, but four exchanges have been running contrary to the trend with nearly an equal amount of net positive inflows. There have been total net outflows of 46,000 BTC from all crypto exchanges since last July. 
only the the four at the the four that were mentioned before have seen net positive inflows of 207,000 bitcoin according to data from blockchain analytic firm Glassnode's Monday's newsletter over the same time period net outflows have totaled 253,000 BTC from all other exchanges tracked FTX and Huobi have experienced the most dramatic shift in their BTC holdings since last July, whereas FTX has more than tripled the amount of BTC it holds to 103,200 today. Huobi's holdings have dwindled to just 12,300 or around 6% of what it did hold, which was 400,000 BTC in March of 2020. Oh man. Net outflows have been consistent since last year with a few major spikes occurring in August and most recently on January the 11th. However, Glassnode attributes the current relatively low inflows to, quote, the scale of market uncertainty at present, end quote, and suggests that the crypto trading market in general has shifted to derivatives trading over spot sales in order to hedge risk. Remember? It was one of the very first things we talked about during this show was Arm in the Parman's piece on futures, derivatives, and how they're used for price manipulation. What did we just read? This suggests that the crypto trading market in general has shifted to derivatives trading over spot sells in order to hedge risk. Exchange inflows are measured to help give a better understanding of whether investors are prepared to liquidate or hodl their coins. Net inflows show incoming selling pressure, whereas net outflows suggest more hodling. The coins that remain on chain maintain a realized price of 24,100 per BTC, suggesting that most hodlers enjoy a profit margin of 63%. Realized price is the average price of all coins when they were moved on chain. The realized price contrasts with an implied price of 39,200. The implied price is an estimated fair value price per coin and is currently just below breakeven as BTC was trading at 38,346 at the time of writing according to CoinGecko. Right now, short-term hodlers are underwater by about 15% as the average price of coins that have moved on chain in the last 155 days is 46,400, according to Glassnode. In addition to the low volume of inflows and outflows is the profit and loss ratio of sellers, which has been demonstrably flattening since the beginning of 2021. Glassnode suggests that long-term hodlers are, are growing tired of selling, even though we are yet to see major long-term hodler capitulation event, as was seen at previous cyclical bottoms. It added, quote, the historically low magnitude of, bo of both short-term hodlers and long-term hodlers' losses may be signaling increasing probabilities of aggregate seller exhaustion. End quote. The newsletter warns that there still remains the risk of a final and complete capitulation of both short- and long-term hodlers, which has happened at the bottom of previous cycle bottoms. So, yeah, it, I, you know, the way that this reads to me reads good but bad in the short term it could be i mean it there's nothing certain if you've been around these markets you know long enough you realize that making any kind of call on price or what's going to happen next week is just dude you're just shooting in the dark if you happen to be right you look like a hero but chances are good you know deep down wow i can't believe i was right i mean i've been there i've done it <laughs> 
It's happened. Okay, uh, Dmitro Karakov from Bitcoin Magazine is going to be telling us how Bitcoin saves people in Ukraine during wartime. Uh, people from all over the world actively contribute to Ukraine's fight for freedom. The recent events also illustrate how Russia's military aggression appears to be the major environmental threat, while Bitcoin assists in minimizing it. Ukraine faces unprecedented aggression from Russia in a conflict described by the BBC as the biggest war in Europe since 1945. <clears throat> in an attempt to pursue its imperialistic policies, Russia now deliberately violates basic international treaties and legal standards such as the Geneva Conventions, which regulate military conflicts and humanitarian treatment. Gee, you probably want to go see like all the wars the United States have committed after World War II and see if it fits with the Geneva Conventions. Uh, spoiler, they don't. The Ukrainian military service reports that more than 2,000 civilians were killed during the first week of Russia's invasion. Russia's military forces attack and destroy residential buildings, hospitals, kindergartens. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's fucking... Come on, Bitcoin Magazine. Come on, guys. This is propaganda. I don't know if they bombed a kindergarten. And honestly, you can show me pictures of bombed out buildings all over the place and say, well, this was a kindergarten. And guess what? I don't know if I can believe you any longer. BBC, CBS, NBC, any of the majors. I, I don't know if I can believe you. I've been lied to for so long. Why do you think I believe that they are actively bombing residential buildings, hospitals, and kindergartens? There is not enough pictures in the world. You would have to fly me over to Ukraine and show me the bombed out building. And then I'd have to actually work with, with somebody who knew, the, who knew the landscape and had all the maps from the city of where things were. And then I'd have to see all the certification that said that, that at that particular place, at that particular geographic location was indeed a freaking kindergarten. I don't trust anybody anymore. So if, when you hear the propaganda come out of, the, out of this thing, and I'm not for Russia, I'm not for Ukraine. That's not the point. The point is I've been lied to for so long, I don't know what to believe anymore. All right, so I'm a little angry right now, but if you are listening and you hear the propaganda and you start screaming at me, don't scream at me. Go scream at Bitcoin Magazine or the author of this particular piece, okay? Let's try to get through this together. So-called green corridors that should allow the evacuation of civilians and provide the most effective areas with food, water, and supplies have not been working adequately, causing a humanitarian catastrophe in such cities as Maripol and Volnokhovka. The basic rights of millions of Ukrainians, including the right to life, are threatened every day. However, traditional institutions remain largely ineffective in providing the required protection to vulnerable groups. The international community and NATO have not approved Ukraine's request for closing the sky and the prevention of Russia from utilizing its air forces and artillery from attacking Ukrainian cities and its civilian population. According to Reuters, 74% of Americans support the introduction of a no-fly zone over Ukraine, and most Ukrainians expect that this support will contribute to the changes in NATO policies. In addition to the humanitarian issues outlined above, Ukraine's financial system has proved to be unprepared to meet such pressure. <clears throat> none, of, none of ours is. I'm sorry, it just is not. While the Ukrainian government is still unable or still able to fulfill its obligations regarding national debt payments, numerous problems exist at the micro level. 
The banking system does not work properly, especially in the most affected areas. Electronic payments have become unavailable for millions of people, while the shortage of cash and problems with ATMs make it difficult for ordinary citizens to receive or send funds. The massive withdrawal of deposits by people across the country revealed the inherent instability of fractional reserve banking, as has been extensively explained by Murray Rothbard and other Austrian school, school economists. Under such conditions, Ukrainians face a number of serious issues, such as the need to support the Ukrainian army as well as the most vulnerable groups, and to perform at least some basic transactions. At the traditional as the traditional instruments appear to be either unavailable or inflexible to address such needs effectively and urgently, Bitcoin emerges as the major alternative that can literally save lives during wartime. In particular, Ukrainians using Bitcoin would be able to make required transactions safely and independently of any centralized control. Bitcoin also addresses the threats of physical destruction of property as the risks of fires and artillery attacks remain critical in many cities. Another important advantage is the ability to preserve anonymity and pseudonymity that may be crucial for people living in the currently occupied areas. In this way, they can safely support the Ukrainian army or other people in need. A growing number of Ukrainians are relying on Bitcoin for making their payments and transactions nowadays. The legal status of Bitcoin in Ukraine has proved to be important for uniting the efforts of government officials, entrepreneurs, and other socioeconomic groups. Most, if not all, major non-governmental organizations accept Bitcoin as a contribution option. Taras Chmut, the head of the Ukrainian support organization Come Back Alive, for instance, recognizes cryptocurrency as being the best option available at the moment. According to him, due to problems with banking systems in Kiev, only cash and cryptocurrency may be used for making purchases of needed supplies. However, cryptocurrencies are definitely more convenient and reliable than cash as they allow for the accepting of contributions without geographical restriction. The decentralized nature of Bitcoin allows different non-government agencies and local activists to perform complementary functions, thus protecting the ideals of freedom in Ukraine. The current situation in Ukraine also offers yet another refutation of the common biased argument about the supposed negative impact of Bitcoin on the natural environment. An actual environmental threat was caused by Russia's military forces on March 4th when they used heavy weaponry to capture the largest nuclear power plant in Europe, the nuclear power station, according to the Ukrainian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. The potential environmental catastrophe could be 10 times more severe than the Chernobyl disaster, such a special military operation as Russia President Vladimir Putin has called his invasion proves that most threats to humanity and the global civilization are centralized by their nature. In contrast, the voluntary and independent coordination of many people across the world may address such threats. Ukrainians have successfully implemented various humanitarian products and environmental protection initiatives because they can use Bitcoin during wartime. It is no coincidence that Russia's authorities have considered either strictly controlling all cryptocurrency transactions or prohibiting Bitcoin altogether in their attempt to avoid any decentralized movements in their country. All right, so yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the one-sided propaganda stuff any longer. You know, I used to fall into that shit, you know, when, when the planes wrecked into, you know, uh, 9-11, wrecked into the World Trade Centers. I was like, rah, rah, go bomb all the brown people. I have never been more wrong about so much for so long than anything else in my entire life. 
Now, I will go to my grave serving that fucking penance, and I'm not going to do it again. I have no clue what the hell's going on in Ukraine. I have no clue if they're the good guys. I have no clue if the Russians are the bad guys. I can't know. There's no way to know anymore. We don't have a functional information system. The only thing that is functional about an inf- the only functional information system that we have at this point is Bitcoin. That is it. It's the truth machine of all truth machines. And come to find out, it's the only one in existence. All the other quote unquote truth machines that we thought were truth machines are not. They manufacture lies. They manufacture propaganda. They are created to swing your opinion that somebody else is going to benefit from. I have no idea if Russia bombed a fucking kindergarten. There's no way that you know if Russia bombed a kindergarten. Even if the tide was turned and for whatever reason, Ukraine was invading Russia and people that were on Russia's side were saying the Ukrainians bombed a kindergarten, I still would no longer believe it. I do not have the capacity to believe mainstream media at this point. I don't know how the hell to work through that, but I sure as shit am not going to fall prey to propaganda ever again. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. I got a vasectomy because I didn't want kids. And then I came home and they were still there. Yeah, I'm not sure this this whole craze of <clears throat> vasectomies at this point or another is is just it's it's brutal. I I mean, I'm just seeing people just destroy their ability to reproduce and have kids at a very alarming rate. I wish it wasn't happening, but, but it is. And I, again, I'm going to blame propaganda on all that. Um, if you want to support the show, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast is an easy way to give me a buck a month. If you want, I've got it set down that low. If you don't want to do that and you want to use actual money, you can use Bitcoin via my lightning node via podcasting 2.0. If you got to know, you can use Fountain App, which is one of my favorites. And also the Breeze Wallet has a uh, the ability to stream podcasts while you stream me Satoshis, as well as Sphinx Chat. But guys, there's like, I think there's 30 podcasting 2.0 apps that are out there and are uh, in various stages of functionality. Some are better than others, of course, and but they'll just get better as time goes on. So if you want to support the show and you want to stream me Satoshis on a minute-per-minute minute basis while I stream you these dulcet tones, well, that's the way to do it. Also, I do have a tipping me page. Um, I actually kind of de-mothballed uh, uh, last, uh, yesterday and the day before, and uh, so if you, want to, if you want to give me a tip via tipping me, it is in fact, oh, I can, let me get my tipping card out here. It is tippin, T-I-P-P-I-N dot M-E forward slash at ghost of Nunya, all one word, G-H-O-S-T-O-F-N-U-N-Y-A. And you just go there, it'll give you a tipping card. Uh, you can scan the QR code and it will, you can send me whatever you want to send me. And it's a good way to support the show as well. Uh, Lastly, if you don't want to spend any money whatsoever, no matter what you want to do, if you spend your time with me, 
that's greatly appreciated as well. And you can spend your time not only listening to the show, but, but by telling family, friends, people that you know, hey, if you just want Bitcoin news in the mornings on a daily basis, Bitcoin and. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.